You're listening to Carbon Removal Newsroom, a weekly show about current events in the world of carbon removal, from technology and innovation to policymaking and job growth. Brought to you by Nori, the carbon removal marketplace. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our December 1st edition of Carbon Removal Newsroom. This week, we will be focusing on some scientific aspects of carbon removal. So as always, I have with me Dr. Jane Zelikova, Executive Director of the Soil Carbon Solutions Center and Joint Faculty in Crop and Soil Science at Colorado State University. Hi, Jane. Hello. And Dr. Shannon Valley. Paleon Oceanography and Marine Biogeochemistry Researcher, who has served on Joe Biden's NASA transition team and is currently a AAAS Science and Technology Policy Fellow at USAID. Hello, Shannon. Hey there. Someday I will get your title to roll off my tongue much clearer than it usually does. It's a mouthful. I've been told very impressive. We can shorten that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's so impressive. We don't want to shorten it up. And I am Radhika Mulgafkar, Head of Supply and Methodology at Nori. So as everyone who listens to this podcast knows, back in April of this year, Stripe, Alphabet, Shopify, Meta, and McKinsey announced a joint project to invest about $925 million into carbon removal by 2030. Now kind of known as the Frontier Group, it's using an advanced market commitment structure to provide a source of stable and secure um, demand and revenue to potential CDR companies to help the industry grow. So this November, Frontier offered a new resource to the CDR industry. It's called a Database of Carbon Removal Knowledge Gaps. And in that blog post announcing the release of the work, the author said, we've noticed a few areas that are underexplored relative to their potential. I feel like that's an understatement, but so here we're experimenting with a supply push. Our hypothesis is that we can move move quickly. Uh, we can more quickly share the proverbial tree for the most promising ideas in CDR. So to discuss this report this week, we have Shannon and Jane, and I guess really the database we'll be discussing. So curious to hear from both of you, um, what, are the scientific knowledge gaps you see that will um, affect the ability of CDR to be successful, aside from what Frontier thinks? Or you might agree with everything Frontier put in there. Jane, yeah, um, I mean, they put a lot in, so it's uh, it certainly feels like it's, um, it's not fully comprehensive, but there's a lot in there. Um, and a lot of the really big gaps are already uh, outlined in this new database, which is great. So there's like, so the big things to shake off of the proverbi proverbial tree, um, I think we can shake with this database. But I think the biggest thing in my mind is the integration piece. So integrating CDR into all of the lived environments and managed environments that currently exist, I think is a really huge opportunity and need. Um, while you know, it would be really great for us to rebuild everything from scratch and do it with low emissions and low sort of low carbon uh, footprint materials that just isn't likely to happen. And so while we can't completely re restructure our, our lived environment, I think we have to figure out how to embed CDR into the structures that exist today and that and sort of like how do we make new materials to replace the old ones. Um, 
And so the, the database has some of those, like sort of there's one particular entry for that activity, specifically integration of CDR into existing infrastructures. Um, and there's a lot in this database that's focused on waste streams. So how to use various waste products for carbon removal purposes. And that's all really great and needed, but I think we need to be um, maybe like dreaming a little bigger you know, what does a city look like that's completely sort of integrating carbon management into its very function and infrastructure? What do buildings look like? How do they function? Um, there's this thing that Third Way just put out, which is like a visual representation of what it would look like to have carbon management in urban systems and rural systems with DAC integration, with um, hydrogen systems integrated. And I think just the the visual, like the visual representations of what we should be dreaming of, I think is really helpful. Um, and I didn't see that much of that in the database. Shannon, what about you? Anything you would add or include in that database? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think, well, the database has a lot of MRV coverage and I think, I think that's right on for sure. At least what I spend more time thinking about in the kind of natural solution space. Again, it's it's kind of going back to that signal to noise ratio and understanding what uh what kind of a localized intervention is doing within the much larger earth system cycling background. So getting that kind of um getting that that level of, of measurement down. So Jane, as you were, you know, perusing the database, I'm curious what your initial impressions were of it and how did you like just, you know, how the information was presented? Because I think it's important that valuable information is presented in an accessible way. Um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I think um, it's fine. It's, it's good. Uh, I like I like the uh, the ability to sort of filter things by things you're really interested in. That's pretty easy, um, and I like that there are tags. Everything is really well tagged, so you can sort of move between things pretty easily just using the tagging system by categories and skill sets. Um, you know, visually, like when you click on a particular thing, it opens in a new tab. You know, that's good, so you're not like having to use back to find your way back. I think the recommendations are a little slim. And I'm assuming that they're going to get built over time. They're just like a little, um, they're not really detailed enough and there aren't enough examples of like, what does a thing look like? Um, so for example, like if I clicked on, um, uh, let me think of something that I have clicked on. I've clicked on a lot of stuff. Uh, nutrient removal via biomass. So there's a category for nutrient removal. So when you're taking biomass out of, a, out of an ecosystem, you're, and storing it for carbon storage, you're also removing the nutrients, other nitrogen, phosphorus, other things that would have potentially been like returned into the ecosystem and served as nutrients for other plants. And so we need to understand like what that nutrient loss actually means for ecosystem function in the future. And so when you click on it, like it would be really good to have a specific example of, of like an issue where this is actually happening. But um, I mean, I, I like it, I think it's a really great like, you know, just to, as a first thing to put out into the world, this is pretty comprehensive. There are a few like little typos here and there that people, annoying people like me will find and then just like, it'll pester me, but I'm trying to let that go. Um, it's a really great first, first stab. 
Can I just add, I also really liked the additional resources and key experts component to, to kind of each, um, to each uh, key area. Um, it gives you, obviously they're not comprehensive, but the ability to kind of have the receipts to, to look at some citations of existing work that's already looking to answer some of these gaps um, is really cool, especially if you're, you know, generally interested in, in learning more about a sector, but you're not expert yourself. The key experts, it also kind of gives you more opportunity because they're not always academic researchers. Some of them are companies or other folks who are involved in this space, NGOs, people who are working at NGOs. It kind of gives you an idea if you're just getting started um, or, or just need additional information, kind of where, where to go to start talking to folks. 100%, although in, in terms of receipts, um... I was really curious about who put this together. Like I wanted to like know what what sort of work they're doing that the main people and you know, they mentioned folks from our RMI, et cetera, but then they basically said there are more than 30 independent scientists, CDR companies, funders, and other ecosystem actors whose expertise and input helped develop the database. And I, I'm assuming if it wasn't just Daniel Pike and Kara Masano that actually did it, like who those people were, it would have been good to see those receipts. And why, like, why be all mysterious about it? You know, why not be transparent? <laughs> well, Shannon's one of our technical reviewers, at least she's listed as one. So kind of curious what the experience was and to the extent you can talk about it, um, would love to learn more. Yeah, so in the past, I'd worked as a reviewer for some of um, Stripe's climate investments. And so Without going into like details of any one project, I would say that at least in the, the area that I reviewed um, kind of ocean CDR activity proposals, which is some, uh, more nascent than a lot of other kind of technical interventions, there, there was a lot of kind of estimation of um, sequestration benefits kind of based on back of the envelope cal calculations, but they lacked information about, you know, potential biological interactions, ocean circulation complications, and so on. And so I, I realized for sure that, you know, in-situ monitoring of ocean geochemistry is costly, studying biological impacts is outside of the purview of a lot of these projects. Um, so it's, it's kind of a lack of holistic and systems thinking that you realistically can't capture in-house with a lot of these projects and a lot of these um, kind of startups. So even when a lot of these companies are starting to bring on board really smart technical folks, um, you're just not going to get all of that systems level expertise that you need all in-house. So what I was looking for um, in these applications were just thoughtful and detailed discussions of kind of if you had more um, funding and research capacity, like what kinds of instruments, what kinds of modeling techniques, what kind of data would you want to apply um, towards better understanding um, both the sequestration value and some of the, the impacts. Um, and so I think that's where, of course, like key collaborations come in and why I think having an open database like this where folks with expertise can plug in and also showing where people like, you know, students, entrepreneurs, people who are just interested in getting into this field, ideas of where they could contribute if their interest is really important. Um, so, Jane, we were talking about the database, which um, currently includes 110 gaps 
that need to be explored. And eight attributes can be applied to view the different categories. And listeners, I think you just have to go out there and look at the database, which is available, and we'll be in our show notes to picture this potentially. Um, some of the categories are skill set and developmental stage. Curious if there were particular areas that were most interesting to you, or did you think were more relevant to pushing CDR forward versus others? Yeah, um, well, I straight up went for MRV because that's what I work on. So that was like the first kind of um, category I searched based on. And I was also really, and so for MRV, um, again, the work that I do is on soils. The only way soils are really represented in this database because they don't consider soil to be a durable um, carbon storage solution, um, which is debatable, but fair. Um, the only way soils are represented is sort of understanding the mineral interactions and the microbial sort of roles of microbes and soils for mineralizing um, long-term carbon, interactions with biochar, enhanced mineralization, et cetera. So uh, that's the only way soil was represented. But then um, for MRV, I did think it was really interesting because MRV is like a kind of near, it's a critical like linchpin solution or set of questions and knowledge gaps that need to be filled with quite a lot of um, research already done. So we're not really starting from scratch conceptually. So there's like a lot of progress that can be uh, made really quickly and it's really high impact. So that was like good to see because that's that's kind of the kind of thing that I, I wanna know if I'm working on something that actually has impact. So that was a personal thing. And then the other thing I started looking at is um, I've just, I've been like thinking about this a lot lately in general, the idea that um, while we focus so much on technical solutions, we often overlook the very, like the, the people aspect. And I didn't see people really represented here. And by people, I mean, sort of like social sciences and understanding how solutions are actually deployed in the real world. And this is a problem that I see over and over and over again with all of like in CDR in general, and in other sort of technocratic systems where we just focus on technology and ignore the people. And so I, I looked for any sort of disciplines that touch social science and I, you know, they have sociology and they had economics, um, very, very few, uh, no projects had any social sciences in them at all. Like no, no sociology was represented when you just do that category. Um, and so that's, that's kind of an interesting thing because if we don't understand how people are interacting with these solutions and how they're deployed in the real world, then nothing actually happens. And so social science, like, you know, today it becomes an afterthought. At some point people are like, oh, we should ask like someone who works in social science how to do this once we've already like designed the research project, maybe like sought out funding, et cetera. And I think we have to really flip that and really think, start with social science, start with, um, and not just social scientists, but also like stakeholders that aren't academics and then come up with questions together and, and like seek ways to answer those questions together. Together, not as an afterthought. So that was that was an interesting thing. They did kind of mention that they 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 saw that weakness themselves. So I'm glad to see that they had self-reflection on that. Um, but it's probably the biggest area where folks can come in and because it's open and transparent, people can add other categories or make suggestions. I think this this could be a really big area for folks to really expand the database and make it even more useful. 
Yeah. And Jane, you've been you've been talking about that since I've known you, the need to flip the narrative about social science and where it comes in in study design and more broadly, probably in CDR adoption um, across from science all the way to commercialization. I think it's an important conversation that still continues to be needed to have. I mean, um, if Holly Buck was here, what would she say? What would Holly Buck say should be a t-shirt? I don't know, but she'll be back. Ooh, good. <laughs> I would never train of speaking for Holly. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Shannon, um, Jane mentioned this and, you know, the database has this participatory element, which is very cool. And it means that people can come in and add new gaps, edit posts, upvote gaps. Um, so curious what you think of this sort of like Wikipedia, GitHub-like structure and if there was something that particularly uh, you upvoted. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the participatory element, like as Jane was saying, the key is making sure that you have a diverse set of eyes that gets on this, that's helping helping to set kind of what the research agenda is, so that you have the, the, the input from diverse groups, like social scientists, NGOs, researchers, interest groups, environmental practitioners, and so on and so forth, and that, but I think the concern is that with Wikipedia too, it all depends on who's doing the authoring. And Wikipedia itself has had struggles in the past with, you know, authors of of you know different subject areas coming from one specific demographic group. So you got to make sure that you don't have just one kind of group of motivated actors that are dominating the discussion, even on a database that's open like this. So you got to get the word out to the the interested diverse groups. Of, of stakeholders that you want to see engage on a platform like this. So I guess that's part of what we're doing here today is trying to get the word out. Um, but as for me, what I found myself upvoting, a lot of stuff, surprise, surprise, given my background, um, MRV um, gaps associated with um, understanding bio-based carbon storage impacts and, and nutrient cycling and um, governance um, and ethical issues. Cool. Well, Jane also brought up another interesting, you know, you called it tech, you know, technocratic, I think is the word you use, but it does feel like the tech industry is very interested in CDR. I, you know, I hypothesize because tech likes tech. I don't know. But um, how do you feel about that? There are parts of the tech industry that are so interested in the scientific side of the CDR creation and CDR in general? You know, I think the whole like tech likes tech and tech understands tech is like a thing. Um, I find myself like as a person who works more with like agriculture and sort of more land-based climate um, and land management in general, when you talk to people, especially tech people, and you sort of explain that even the most like well thought out and designed tech solution um, doesn't mean anything if you don't like engage with farmers and that the biggest thing is sort of understanding the challenges that farmers are facing, the the sort of aging farming population, the confusing set of incentives they get from government programs. All of those things are very like human things and they don't, they just immediately sort of shut down. They want a simple tech solution or they want something that they invested in as a technology. And it's really hard for them to part with money that's just going to squishy like people talking to each other in a way that's nice. So, I mean, I think it's just, it's kind of a problem. 
Um, you also see people like Elon Musk, who sort of like, uh, you know, what is it, the elephant in the China shop, sort of the bull in the China shop, just knocking everything over and ruining things that we really like um, and using their outsized and my personal opinion and come get me if you want uh, Elon Musk fans, uh, unearned privilege and unearned money to buy solutions and buy uh, platforms. And then all of a sudden have an outsized opinion on what CDR, for example, should be doing and what we should be investing in. So I think we have to, we have to involve the corporate sector, obviously, but I think we can't give them an outsized role to play here because we've done this before. Like history is full of sort of large corporations ruining all kinds of stuff. That's how we got into this mess in the first place. So while it's nice to see corporate actors really putting a lot of effort and money into scaling CDR, you know, less than a billion dollars, still a worth effort. We need to like triple, quadruple times a hundred that to actually make progress, but it's really good to start somewhere. So it is, it's not surprising. Tech loves tech, um, but it is problematic and we have to be really careful about it. Yeah, I, I always, it always um, kind of boggles my mind when we talk about frontier, everybody's like, it's a billion dollars, but then I'm like, but the US government just, you know, said $3 billion for DAC hubs alone, like three times as much for just one. And so there is this like also problem of scale and publicity around what you're doing. Um, so Shannon, you know, Jane talked a little bit about it, but I'm also curious your thoughts on so private corporations having such an outsized influence on a scientific database, you know, scientific research and how you think about that potential quandary. Yeah, I think so. Obviously, the main concern is not wanting to put the car before the horse and driving action in spaces that we don't have good scientific basis on understanding, like doing further geological, ecological, societal harm when we already have a big crisis that we're dealing with. You don't want companies that are driving kind of perverse incentives um, to continue bad action um, in climate spaces. But actually, I think um, in terms of driving like the research agenda, I think that a lot of the research questions that we're looking at when you're talking about getting at these um, kind of key knowledge gaps are stuff that folks are working on anyways. They want to work on more. And, and in the climate space, from the climate's perspective, I think they're, you know, we know the what. We know very well the impacts of atmospheric carbon over several life and human lifespans. So we need to work more in the solution space. And I think that's a positive thing to have you know, money talks. That's that's just the world that we live in. So I think that's that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get roasted, but I, I'll say, you know, maybe there, you know, there is benefit to having some private sector efficiency to bite away at some of these chunks, while you you maintain public sector support for transformational, but maybe not immediately profitable tech like this fusion industry that's always fifty years away, right? So I think the balance is like providing the regulatory frameworks and the transparency norms, I think, within the CDR community of practice so that you're supporting private sector engagement, maybe even leadership or pushing or nudging or whatever, 
but it still allows for research and for other actors to uncover and disseminate results that industry may not like. So I think that the transparency is, is the main key. All right. Oh, another, so um, another thing though, uh, I totally agree with everything Shannon was saying. I was like sitting here on mute nodding. Um, what would be really cool to see, and I don't know how this would work with this kind of a fund, but there, it, there are some topics in this database and some topics in CDR that require sort of more patient investment. They need a longer runway um, and government obviously can play that role, but it would be really nice to have the private sector understand, like really, really fundamentally understand the longer runways that are required for things and rethink sort of the VC model for how we scale solutions. And I think this this database could potentially shed light on that just because it like really does highlight the length of time it requires for some of these things and where they are currently in like conceptual or lab or sort of pilot stage. Yeah, and like not all um, private sector is the same, right? So there's there's VC type stuff, but then there's also if you look at kind of more philanthropic type philanthropic type funding, you do have people in that space that have longer longer term thinking, more systemic thinking, but it's it's a matter of also doing outreach to those type of groups as well. I mean, there's a whole debate about role of philanthropy and solutions and so on, but you know that that can also be an opportunity to get away from just kind of quick make a buck thinking and in longer term strategy. All right, to wrap it up, I have two final questions for you both to answer. So one, what you know, what did you think of Frontier's attempt to stab, to take a stab at capturing kind of the known unknowns and generally creating sort of a scientific style database? And then of all the knowledge gaps in CDR, what is the one you are most interested in seeing solved as soon as possible? MRV excluded, because we've already talked about that by, from both of you. So I'll start with you, Shannon, and then I'll end with Jane. Okay, so about the known unknowns, um, I think um, the main issue that I had was still the framing of, of a lot of these knowledge gaps were just about, so how and when are these going to come online and scale? Like, assuming that it's going to happen and that we just need to drive the tech to do that, but not kind of coming from the framing of if they should. So I'd still like to see some of the framing of you know, addressing knowledge gaps about like what kind of information do we need to inform a, a decision tree? So that's that's getting at, you know, where are the opportunities to pivot if, you know, ecosystem impacts of a given intervention, for example, are too deleterious or if the sourcing of the material at scale is costly and not just financial costs, but energy costs, social costs and so on, if that's prohibitive. So they're like, for example, there was like a knowledge gap that was listed around like what are effective educational programs to increase awareness, acceptance and support for, you know, responsible CDR. So responsible is doing a lot of work there. But, you know, if if there is a building public consensus that we don't want to go down a certain road or if there's some kind of finding, what what's the pivot? What's the decision tree that helps? What is the information that we need that helps us? move on to the next thing and not just presuming that we're going to go forward. So my favorite of the knowledge gaps, I was intrigued by the 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 one that was about in, integration of CDR into in, existing processes and industries. 
So they listed things like um, including like discharge brines or waste streams um, uh, into electrochemical CDR, um, other sources of alkalinity for like ocean alkalinity enhancement, for example. And they cited even an existing study of amino acids from biowaste project products that could be applied towards DAC. Um, that's kind of interesting, kind of some of it sounds a little freaky because <laughs> they were talking about like bio waste products as like feathers and fur. Um, so yeah, concern of course is, you know, are these industrial waste products going to be clean properly for reuse? But anything that's like multi-use or multi-benefit is makes my ears perk up. And um, just like one last thing, if I can add my second, um, I'm not sure so much if it's in the database. I was looking for it, but um, I'm a logistics geek. It's one of my other geekdoms, like other than otters and so on. Um, but I'm really interested in like understanding more about how CDR strategies um, are achieving strong net drawdown um, by reducing emissions along their operational life cycle. So if there's any kind of like systems engineering management um, processes research that um, kind of gets at identifying operational efficiencies, I'm super interested in that too, because I think if you have the potential to spread that kind of um, that kind of knowledge beyond the CDR space, then you can really get into big um, carbon reduction. We're just learning more and more nerd things about Shannon. I love it. I'm a nerd of, of many layers. Yeah. Well, I'll just, I'll be really quick. Um, for me, I agree with Shannon. Um, I think the thing that uh, I was really curious about, and it's just, it's not my favorite, it's just the one that I'm most dumbfounded by is the biomass sinking. I just can't help but be like, but why? And why? I like, it just, it's just like mind boggling. So I want to, I want to like keep an eye on that because does it really have really like high potential for carbon removal? Is that really the best use for biomass? It's this whole question of like, just because we can do it, should it, should we? And how do we stop ourselves from doing things just because we can? So I'm going to keep an eye on this whole biomass sinking thing. Cause I've, I've reviewed some uh, proposals for Stripe that re were related to that. And I was just like, but why I don't get it. So maybe we'll find out why. All right. And then um, to wrap up the show today, Jane, I wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce our listeners to that really cool charity you introduced the CRN team to. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. So um, I don't know if folks are listening at home, if you know this or not, but um, I was born in Ukraine. I'm a Ukrainian. Um, I'm from the eastern region called Kharkiv, is the city that I was born in. It's probably very famous now. Most people didn't know where it was a year ago. And um, I've been, you know, heartbroken is not even, doesn't even cover the feelings about my home country right now. But um, one of the things I've been trying to do is um, I'm volunteering with an organization called Sunflower Seeds Ukraine, which is started by folks, Ukrainian folks in Colorado. And what we do is we um, fundraise and then we buy tactical gear and medical supplies and equipment for frontline defenders in Ukraine um, and also some sort of civilians that are in harm's way. And we have a network of volunteers uh, across Europe who are um, delivering those supplies directly to Ukraine. 
that are getting directly into the hands of the defenders um, themselves. Many of the defenders we work with are people that um, we are friends with or know personally. So we've been doing a holiday fundraiser and we did a, uh, a big fundraising push on Tuesday, on Giving Tuesday and raised a bunch of money, which was really awesome to see. So um, I guess the new good news, not that there's a lot of good news coming out of Ukraine right now, is that there are still a lot of people that really care about what's happening and are really heartbroken um, and want to help. And um, I just sent an email to some people I knew and posted in Slack, and then we raised over $10,000 in a day. So it was really heartwarming and not that money is everything, but it was, you know, that money is really going to buy things that are going to help people. So um, what's the name of the organization, Jane? The organization, again, is Sunflower Seeds Ukraine, and you can find them online and donate, and they have lots of different campaigns for specific things like winter gear, or you can just donate to the general fund and we'll buy things that the frontline people need. So everybody who listens, please consider when you're doing your end of the year giving that this um, charity that's so near and dear to one of our uh, panelists' hearts. And with that, I want to thank both Shannon and Jane on our December episode, Ooh. end of 2022 episode. So for science, so thank you both so much for your time and effort this year. And I look forward to continuing the conversation as we move into 2023. Yeah, thank you, Radhika. And thank you, Asa, who we don't hear from, but he's in the background producing the magic. So thank you both for doing this show. For sure. It's been great joining you guys this year and I'm looking forward to the next one. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to Carbon Removal Newsroom. If you like the show, the best way you can help us is by giving us a great rating and review in Apple Podcasts, following the show on Spotify, and by sharing the show on social media. Tell your friends and help us spread the word about what's happening in the world of carbon removal.